I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Today we are... Um... We're close to wrapping up Nehemiah. If you, if we've been two weeks, uh, it's been two weeks now that we were in chapter nine, uh, and what we looked at was God confe- uh, the God's people uh, being moved to confession and repentance in chapter nine. Um, and then last week we took a break and just really had a special time last night. Uh, last night, last week, um, on the topic of foster care and adoption. Uh, Beth Green was here, and if you didn't get to, if you weren't here for that, uh, go to the website and check out what she presented. There's also some information left on the table that she left for us last week. Um, the challenge for us as a church would be that the problem and the crisis of of orphans uh, would be solved in our generation, and it would be solved through the work of the church. Uh, we believe that there's there's um, there's a huge opportunity for us to engage in that crisis, uh, to see that, that, that every child has a forever family, that they're not, getting, have, they're not having to be bounced around from one place to the next. Um, and I know that we have some in our, in our church family who are already engaged in that, but what we're asking for and what we've laid before you from last week is what is it going to take for you to commit to that as well? Uh, wherever you come from, whatever you do, Um, One of the things that I've always said is that at a minimum, Jesus uh, will call for our inconvenience. When we we say, I'm going to follow Jesus, at a minimum, what you'll have to sacrifice, what you'll have to give up is your convenience. Um, And so I think a lot of times that seems to be the hurdle uh, for people who who would say, you know what, foster and adoption isn't for me. Um, I would just ask you to examine your heart about that and and, and then ask God, how, how would I engage this situation. It might not be that you actually get on the front lines and, and, and foster or adopt, but it might be that you are a champion of that and that you're seeing that, that children are being placed uh, and that they don't have to go uh, forever without a forever family. So, um, so today, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to cover three chapters of Nehemiah today in one verse. And it seems like that's a little unreal and it, and it it might be, but I think uh, if, you would, if you were to read chapters 10, 11, and 12, there's going to be one verse that we're going to kind of anchor on today in chapter 12 that's going to cover where we left off from chapter 9 to where we'll be today. And Nehemiah chapters 10, 11, and 12 are going to be summed up in this one beautiful verse. And we've journeyed through this book, and uh, what we've learned and what we've seen, is this is a story of renewal, of restoration, of redemption, of revival, and, and that's what we've seen as, as this journey has, has gone this far. And so in chapter 12, what we see, what we're going to learn in chapters 10, 11, and 12 is that this story of redemption, the story of renewal and revival, it, it breaks out. It has led, led to genuine and heartfelt worship. And that's kind of the theme of where we're going with these chapters today is, is just let, let that be our instruction um, about worship. Because the purpose of redemption and the purpose of restoration is worship. That's the point. That's the big idea. And, and that's what we say when we say that Sulphur Community Church exists to make much of God. 
That's, that's just another way of saying we exist to worship God. We exist to make much of Him, to worship Him. Uh, so what is worship? And that, you throw that question out there, and I, I bet, depending on the, uh, the, the, the people that would be in the room, the number of different responses that you would get by, by that question. What is worship, and why should we even care about it? Why should you even care about worship? Uh, just to give you a little background, uh, my family, um, the, the family that I was raised in, uh, we did not worship Jesus on Sundays. Uh, we didn't really have a church home. We didn't have a, a community of Christians that we did life with. Um, there were times that we would go to church once or twice a year maybe, and it was really, really, really weird to me like to go to church and to see Man, Christians are weird. I'm just going to say that. We're some weird people. If you, if you haven't been raised in church, if you haven't been kind of, that's been about your life since you've been born, um, for someone to step into a, a, a church service or something like that ever so, every so often, it's kind of weird. And I, I didn't quite understand everything that was going on there. I didn't understand why I was singing love songs to this dude named Jesus. Like, that was kind of weird to me, but you know what? Everybody seemed to be okay with it, and so we would do it. And um, I wasn't familiar with all the bells and the smells and the stand-ups and sit-downs and the do this and the do that and to recite this. I didn't know any of the rules. So maybe, in other words, to say I had no clue what was going on. No clue whatsoever, and some of you might be able to relate to that. Some of you might have become a believer later in life that you weren't born in a Christian family where you were raised in a Christian home and, and, and among Christian community. Uh, so you can probably relate to that. Uh, some of you might even be there right now. Some of you be like, dude, this is kind of weird what's going on here. Um, but whatever, you know, go, we're going with it. Uh, so what I want to do this morning is I want to reveal to those of you who might be in that place, and then I want to remind the rest of us what is true biblical worship. That's where we're going, and I want us to see that biblical worship is not something that we just sit here and do on a Sunday. It's not an activity that we participate in on a weekly basis. Biblical worship is the entire story of your life. It is the, is the entire story of the Bible. Worship is, and it's what Jesus came to make possible through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. It's, it's the, the door that he opened with his life is allowing us to, to worship. And so we're going to be, the, that, that anchored verse that we're going to be on today is going to be in Nehemiah chapter 12. Uh, so if you haven't already flipped there, we're going to be looking at verse 43. And this verse is packed uh, with, with all we're going to talk about this morning. So Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 43 and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. And the women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. And so think about this journey through Nehemiah. We're at chapter 10. We're going to cover three chapters today. We've been here for a while. And, and the question that, that just really I, I want to set out before you to think about is what has been the invitation what have you been invited to as we've trekked through this story of Nehemiah? And the answer should be worship. That's what the invitation has been. And I know that we probably haven't clearly stated that, but what I don't want you to hear is that the invitation has been 
for you to have compassion on those who are less fortunate than you. That's not the invitation because worship will do that for you. So the invitation's been worship. We've not been asking you and inviting you to go into the city and do something meaningful or loving for your neighbor. Because worship will do that. We don't have to encourage you to do that. If, if, you're, if you're making much of God, if you're worshiping God, then these things are going to spill out in your life. You're going to show compassion. You're going to show mercy and love and care. Um, we have not asked you uh, or invited you to engage in injustices in this city and around the world. Because true biblical worship will lead you to that. And so that's been the invitation. The invitation through the book of Nehemiah, is to come and worship. Come and worship God. And that's been our invitation. And not, not just through Nehemiah. Every single message that we will ever preach here will be that invitation, that you come and you worship God. You come and worship God. Make much of Him. And so what does that look like practically? All right, so that's a broad thing for us to say. We want you to worship God. Practically, what does it look like? There's several examples just in this verse that we're going to cover today. Um, look, at, look at verse 43 and how it opens. And they offered great sacrifices that day. So the first thing you see is that worship is, is sacrificial. It, it's sacrificial. The celebration of what God has done, what's going on in, the, in, the, in Jerusalem right now, it's spilling out into sacrifice. Sacrifice of our time, our talents, our treasures, everything that we hold on to, everything that we cherish that's what happens whenever God redeems and renews and restores. It spills out into worship, and one component of worship is sacrifice. It's the core. Worship is the core of who we are um, as humans. And so the question will always be, it will never be, are you worshiping? The question will never be, are you sacrificing? But the question will always and ever be, what are you worshiping and what are you sacrificing to? Because we are designed and wired for worship. Every single one of us worship. It's, you don't, there's not the, this group who worships and this group who doesn't worship, or this person who worships and this person who doesn't. Every single one of us have been designed to worship. And so the question is not, are you worshiping? Are you sacrificing? The question is, is what are you worshiping? What are you sacrificing? Is your worship, is your sacrifice directed to the one true God? Or is it directed to a list of gods that you've created? Man-made gods that you've built from wood or gold or straw or whatever it is that you built your God from. We are all worshipers and we all sacrifice in our worship. Every single one of us. And if I can just maybe define worship, it's prizing something or someone um, as that which will fulfill the longing uh, need in our soul, that we're satisfaction that we're looking for. So something or someone that, we're, that we just prize and hold at high value to fill that, la that, that longing in our soul. And so it's not exclusive to religious people. Worship is not exclusive to religious people. Everyone on this planet is worshiping something or someone, every single person. Um, Hinduism is a religion that's about one billion strong. It's the third largest religion in the world today. And it is polytheistic. It is a polytheistic belief, which means it it's, it's worships many gods to a point where there's, it's an unknown number for us. Uh, so the, the best estimates are 
are about 33 million gods that Hindus would worship. And so we think about that. Think of, we're Westerner, Westerners, right? And, and we're, we're hearing this, and we're like, man, that's crazy. 33 billion gods, like they, they just, they worship many gods and they don't worship just one god, that is crazy. And we would even scoff at, at the practice of this religion, right? But here's the reality. Since Adam's rebellion, every single one of us are polytheistic. Every single one of us are. We might say, I worship the one true God, but our hearts will continually drag us to many gods that we've set up for ourselves. Now, we are redeemed in Christ, and Christianity is not considered a polytheistic religion. It's one, we worship one true God. We're monotheistic in our, in our belief and in our worship practices. But let's get real for just a second. Let's dig into our hearts for just a second. We all struggle with worshiping many gods. We all have a list of those things that we sacrifice our time and our talents to. We sacrifice our treasures and, 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 and everything to besides God. And so I don't, wanna, I don't want you to walk away from here and, and, and think that I've preached something false about Christianity. What I'm trying to tell you is that our hearts are bent toward idolatry. And, and I, we, I, we're... Um, it, was, it was said that, that our hearts are idol-making factories. Um, that's just how we're, we're our, what sin has caused in us. And so we all create gods out of the things that God has made, um, and that's the essence of sin. We all sacrifice to these gods, and, and we do that with the hope that it will satisfy us. And so you might not have a formal mode of worship polytheistic worship. You might not have a formal mode of that where you go to a cabinet or a drawer and you pull out these gods to worship. But we all have this list of gods and they captivate our attentions and they demand that we sacrifice for, for them. Money God is in the room right now. Companion God is in the room right now. These things that we would give ourselves to and we'd sacrifice for. Addiction God is in the room right now. So there's not two kinds of people. There's not worshipers and non-worshipers. All humans are wired to worship. And so we're all worshiping something or someone, and we're asking that something or someone to come into these deepest parts of my soul and satisfy me. And those little gods are not gods at all, and they will make huge promises to you and deliver nothing but greater and greater bondage and greater and greater death. That's it. And so true worship that we see here in Nehemiah 12, where the people of God here in Jerusalem, they find that that longing that, that they have can only be found in God. True worship is better than all these other gods. And the people of Nehemiah chapter 12, they found that out. Um, that the thing that they're created for and it, the, the thing that they're, they're built for, their purpose, uh, is to worship God, and that reduces everything else, everything else. And so their, their worship, their spontaneous worship that they break out into, you remember chapter 9 was about confession of sin and repentance. And so the very next thing is worship. Uh, and so, so what follows that, their spontaneous worship breaks out in sacrifice, starting to give of, of whatever... Um, whatever possessions, whatever time, whatever talents they have. And this is why worship 
translates into sacrifice. So what makes sacrifice to the one true God different than sacrifice to all these other gods? What's, what makes the difference? It's one word, and his name is Jesus. That makes all the difference in the world. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. It'll be on the screen. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Worship to our God doesn't result in greater and greater and more and more sacrifice while delivering less and less. That's not worship to our God. In worship, Jesus is the end-all, be-all. He, he, he is where our worship lands because he gave his life to redeem, to renew, to restore, to rescue us from the worship of all of these false gods that we have on our list. Jesus has come for that. And the beauty of the gospel, here's this, is that we don't sacrifice so that God would accept us or love us. That's, we sacrifice out of the acceptance and love that came through the cross. So God sacrificed. And that's the beauty of the gospel. God has sacrificed for us out of love. So this means that there is no sacrifice. And hear me clear, this is, this is very paramount to, to what I'm talking about today and, and, and the gospel in, in general, that there is no sacrifice that you can give to cause God to love you or accept you more. There's no sacrifice. There's no work. There's no thing that you can give up or do so that God would love you. And if you've ever heard that, I want you to know that that's a twisted and sick religion to say you give so that God would love you or you do because God would love you. God will love you in that. He'll accept you if you, you work these things out or you, you show this generosity or you give of this. You, you understand where I'm going with this. Uh, this means that there's no sacrifice that you could give that would cause God to love you more. So worship uh, is about sacrifice. It's a sacrificial ac action, but it is also about joy. Look at Nehemiah chapter four, tw 12, verse 43 again. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Now, because we're a little slow to pick up on things, um, Nehemiah lays it down for us pretty clear here. He uses the word joy or rejoice five times in this one verse so, you, so that we don't miss the point of worship. Worship is about joy, and false worship is trying to find joy and satisfaction in these shallow and temporary places. So here's where we're trying to split the line here, is that our joy drives us, like the, the, the need for joy the need for satisfaction and enjoyment, it, it, it drives us to worship. And so we have to be careful what we're worshiping. So it's not, are you worshiping? It's, what are you worshiping? Or, who are you worshiping? These little gods that we might have on our list, they're all topical treatments. They're Band-Aid gods. They don't get to the root. And, and the more we go to these gods for joy and satisfaction the law of diminishing return will kick in, right? And so the more we seek that, the less and less satisfied we'll be. And every one of you know this about sin. You know this about us, that we'll seek after that thing that we're looking to satisfy us. And the more we dive deeper and deeper into that, the less and less satisfied we are. And so that's, that's what these little gods will give us. And worship 
is at the core of everything that we do. All of our activities, all of our labor, all of this is aimed at maximum joy and maximum fulfillment. Think about that. Think about all of your actions. Think about any action that you do. Like, you're going to get up and go to work tomorrow, most of you. Why? And then whatever your answer is, I'm going to ask you why again. And we're going to get to the root of it because you're seeking ultimate satisfaction. You're seeking maximum enjoyment. And whatever you do and whatever action you're doing. Okay, so, so let's, let's get real. This is why you see people put their families on the altar of the money God, right? This is what happens. C.S. Lewis, um, this is actually, in, in when we did chapter 9, uh, I also took a quote out of this very same uh, um, essay that C.S. Lewis wrote. It's called The Weight of Glory. Uh, I would encourage you, please pick up a copy of that and read it. It's just phenomenal. But he wrote, here's another piece out of um, that essay that he wrote. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. We are all worshipers. We all seek joy and happiness. It's how we're designed. Every action that we take is after that. It's after maximum enjoyment, ultimate satisfaction. The thing you prize the most in your life is the thing that you'll ring the tightest for happiness. You get that? The, 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 the thing that you hold at, at a high, high value, the, the highest value is the thing that you will go to and ring out all the time for happiness. And if that thing that you're trying to wring out happiness in is not the one true God, the, the, the fountain of living water that's, that wells up into eternal life, if that's not the, the, the source for your happiness and your enjoyment, then you're going to be left dry and unsatisfied. Joy and satisfaction cannot be found in the stuff God made. It can't. It can only be found in God himself, the one who made it all. And, and here's the deal. God created us for happiness, and so don't, don't put God in that corner where it says, well, that God, he just, you know, he really doesn't, doesn't want us to be happy or to have fun or to, to do any of those things. That's, God, we got a, it's a bunch of don'ts, you know, like we got to don't, don't do this and don't do that. Here's the deal. He hasn't restricted us from happiness. He has not done that at all. He's given us all things so that we would love him, right, and, and find our ultimate happiness in him who gives us all things. And so think about those things that you think are just wonderful. Like, what is, like just think about that thing that makes you uh, extremely happy and satisfied. That thing is meant for you to worship God. God has given that to you as a gift to say, I created that for your enjoyment and for your pleasure. And so the point is that you would worship me, that, that, that I would be the one. So I, I wanted to share a, a, just a, a photo with you, is, if it's up there. Um, a few weeks ago, 
okay, let me just say, let me get real for just a second. The foremans uh, rarely have downtime. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, we, we had an afternoon where everything was just kind of chill. And so um, the girls wanted to go to the coffee shop and get coffee, and then they wanted to go hang out at Preon Lake for the afternoon and watch the sunset. So that's what we did. And so that's where this picture came from. Um, and here's the deal about the picture, and here's why I wanted to share that with you. Um, watching the sunset and enjoying my family uh, made me very, very happy. And I could quickly make that the source of my joy and happiness, and I would be totally out of line for doing that. Right? Like, they, like God has given them to me, and God has given us beautiful sunsets, not so that we would find our happiness and satisfaction in that, but that we would look on that and say, wow, God, you are so great. Thank you so much for this gift. The point of Christianity is not to separate ourselves from any desires. That's not the point. It's, it's actually taking those desires and bringing them to their rightful place and being satisfied in the God who created them. And so for whatever reason you are in the room today, like whatever reason you might be here, I'll tell you this, the main reason you're here is because your quest for happiness has brought you here. Period. You might say this, this is the reason I'm here or that's the reason I'm here, but at the end of the day, the reason you're sitting in your seat right now in this room is because your quest for happiness and enjoyment has brought you here. You're, you're looking for for fulfillment. You're looking for satisfaction. You're looking for happiness. You're looking for joy. And you've come to the right place. You haven't, you haven't went somewhere else to try to find that. You're, you're looking to Jesus to fulfill that. And so how do the people in Nehemiah get to this point of sacrifice and joy? Look at verse 43 again. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. Worship starts with God's actions, not yours. Why were they worshiping the way they were, they were by sacrificing and rejoicing? Because God had done something in them that caused them to rejoice and to be filled with great joy. God is fighting for their joy God fights for our joy. He is pursuing our joy. He is pursuing the, the people in Jerusalem's joy. He sent Nehemiah to fight for the joy of the people. He sent Ezra to fight for the joy of the people. And he even led them into captivity because he was fighting for their joy. And so that might sound a little backwards or a little crazy, but that's the point. That's what God is doing. He led them into captivity as a means to fight for their joy. And he will do this, and we saw this in chapter 6, that in all things, everything, good or bad, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And every situation and every circumstance that God has us in, he is pursuing our joy. He is fighting for our joy. All things are done for our good and for his glory, regardless of what circumstance you might find yourself in right now. Wherever you're at right now, you might say, Blake, that is just a flat-out lie. I don't believe that God has me in this situation for my good. It doesn't feel that way. And the Bible would tell us that your feelings will have you strung out all over the place. And that is not our, 
our compass, but that the gospel is our compass and that we see all throughout Scripture that God uses all things for our good and for ultimately for His glory. And so this might seem like a long-distance view for you, like, man, I, I'm not there with God yet. I can't get there. That's a long shot for me. Um, I have friends who believe that following God leads to less joy. And you might have friends the same way. I have friends who have um, raging drinking problems, um, who can't be generous, who, who finds themselves in all kinds of trouble because they feel like God is a God who says, don't, 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 don't. And says, you know what? That's not a God who is where I can find my enjoyment. That's not a God. I don't want to follow a God like that because there's a whole bunch of don'ts. And he's no fun at all. And they've believed that Jesus meant no fun. Following Jesus means no fun. So if your view of God is the one where he's a principal, like in a school here, um, who makes you walk in single file lines down the hall with your finger over your mouth, you've missed the God of the Bible. You've missed that. You've believed in a, in a crafted God. Here's the deal. Jesus, Jesus said this, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full. I have come so that you could have life filled up to the top. And this isn't saying, let me, let me make sure that you know, we get this straight, that um, when Jesus says that, that I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, he's not saying that I have come so that you can be rich, that you could be popular, um, that you could be healthy. God is not a means for your happiness. God is the end. All of your happiness and joy lands there. So worship isn't an event that you attend on some frequency. It isn't like a weekly thing that we participate in. Worship at its core is a sacrificial life that leads to ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction and joy, and it starts with God, not you. So look at verse 43 again. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced for God, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And here it is, the last one of this verse. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Did you catch that? That the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Worship is missional. Worship is missional. So it is sacrificial. It is about our enjoyment. It is about joy and satisfaction. It begins with God. It, it begins, it's about, and it ends with God, and it's missional. And the people of God here was obviously throwing down here in Jerusalem at this point. And, and, and our little tribe here at SCC, um, as, we, uh, as we tell of the glories of Jesus, as, as we live out and make much of God, we, we, we show this world what we treasure. We show this community, we show this neighborhood what we treasure the most. And when we do that, when we, when we tell of the glories of Jesus in our lives and the way we worship, um, that will become intriguing and compelling to, the, to our neighbors, to our community, uh, and to the nation. So let me, let me just clear this now. And I, and I think I'm talking to a room who might get this. 
But our worship isn't always found in our songs. Okay, we, we've, we've, we, we continually have to fight against that, but understand that worship is not about the songs that we sing, it's about, it, but it's about the life that we live. It's our lifestyle. Our celebration of what God is doing should ring out through the streets of North Sulphur and to the world. And so is that happening? Is, is our community hearing about the glories of Jesus through our worship? It, our worship should be visible and our worship should be audible. And, and we haven't really touched on this and, 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 and it's, it's on purpose that we haven't touched on this until now. But the, 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 whole, the whole title of this series is The City Still to Come. Because what we've recognized and what we realized, looking at the, the first part of Nehemiah, that man, our city's broken. Our communities and our neighborhoods are broken. And when we look on that, when we see that, our hearts should break for that. And that's where we open this whole series is saying, God, would you break our hearts for our community? Would you break our hearts for the people that are living in bondage and slavery to sin? Would you break our hearts for that? And we've, we've gone through the book of Nehemiah with the hopes that we will set our eyes on the city that is still to come, that God has not given up on our city, that God has not given up on our neighborhood, but that he has sent us here as agents of redemption and restoration and renewal in Christ. So we've looked at Nehemiah. We've seen that ultimately Jesus is our greater Nehemiah. That, that he is the one who has come and rescued us and redeemed us and, ge- and given us a song and given us a reason to burst out in worship and prayer and confession and repentance. That he's the reason for all of that. And he does that for a purpose. So that we would key off of that and say in our community, we're going to be agents of redemption and renewal. We're going to bring about the gospel in our neighborhood. We're going to see lives changed. And that's all going to happen through our worship, not our own ability. And I'm talking to a room full of worker bees here. People who just, you guys are driven to serve and serve, and it's unbelievable how you, you are relentless in your serving. You're not doing that out of your own ability, and if you are, I'm going to ask you to please take a seat. All things are done through Christ. The city will only be redeemed and restored through Christ, not through your own efforts. We must rely on Jesus for that. And so the city still to come is us setting our eyes on Christ, worshiping God through through what he's done in Christ, so that our neighborhood and the nations would hear that, that it would echo through these streets, and that they would be compelled to follow Jesus Christ. And so the reason we wanted to spend time walking through the book of Nehemiah was not just because it, it was a nice place to go, but that we really want to put a light on the purpose of this church family and what we're about and what we're trying to accomplish here. We exist to make much of God in our neighborhoods and to the nations by reflecting Jesus Christ. We exist to worship. We've built that way. That's our purpose And we do that here so that they can see and be compelled to follow Jesus. So 
realizing this redemption story will always, always, always lead to worship. When you realize what Christ has done for you, when you, when you come to a full knowledge of that, the, the right response is worship. And here's what happens when worship is our response. It always leads to a gospel movement. Always. Look at the church. Look at, look at the New Testament. When, when Christ got a hold of some people and the church was birthed, he said something to the tune of, go and make disciples of all nations. And they took him seriously. And, and, and because they took him seriously, we get to sit here today and worship Jesus. So it will always lead to a gospel movement. And when God does something in your heart, it's, it's not a singular thing that happens. When God does something in your heart, it affects people around you. And so has God done, done anything in our hearts? Does our city know about it? Does our neighborhood know about it? Are they hearing the echoes of our praises and our worship? Do they see it in our lives? Let's pray.